Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Gypsy Poet Radio. I'm the Gypsy Poet, and this afternoon we've got an amazing guest who has performed and written songs for the Marshall Brown Tucker Band, who has also performed with Crystal Gale and David Allen Coe, and, of course, Charlie Daniels. Please welcome the legendary Ronnie Godfrey. Hi, how are you? Hello there. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing really well. Yes. Okay, so let's start talking about music here. What a joy it is to have you on the program this afternoon. Oh, oh it's my pleasure. Yes. How is the weather over where you're at? It's manic. It doesn't really know what it wants to be or do. Today it was rather hot, and, but a day or two ago it was, you know, quite cold. It's, it's kind of that time of the year. I call it manic weather. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, it is It is that season because one minute it could be cold, the next minute it could be hot. Yes, the south oh, yeah. is one of those places that you just never know when it's going, what's going to happen and when it's Ooh. going to change. Okay. Not anymore. Oh, my God. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Fact, climate um, change, anyone? <laughs> That's the truth, right? Absolutely. Um, well, enough about the weather. Let's talk about you because this show t- this afternoon is all about you. Um, you have released quite an album, on, and it's now on CDBaby.com, which, which is kind of a surprise because you have quite a, re- a resume of, of releases that I've seen even in your bio, which is really amazing. Um, so tell me just a teeny-weeny bit about a couple songs, that, like the ones that you've sent me earlier. You you sent me some really beautiful songs. Um, okay, so one, one is called If Love Was a Bullet. And, yeah, If Love Was a Bullet. If Love Was a Bullet is a look at the world through the eyes of a blind person, but a person who is looking, maybe I call it with their third eye, just kind of observing the what I see going on in the world now. And it, it's, I'll admit, it's a little bit of a downer, but it's hard not to see or feel that uh, there's, you know, there's just a lot of division in the whole world right now. It's kind of a lot of the turmoil and that. Uh, that's what that song basically deals with. It's not necessarily uh, overly comfortable. Some of the subjects that it uh, that it touches on, but that's what it's all about. I I listened to it in its entirety, and I was I was um, I was left with tears at the end of it. Um, it. It is an uncomfortable song, but in a good way, and it provides a sense of catharsis. After you think about it, it's it's uh, the melody to it is intricate, and it's and it's very very gripping mentally when you sit with it, and um, and after taking the time to to listen to it, I'm I'm thinking that the overall mood of the album sounds like this, and yeah that's yeah that's why I have called it Shades of Blue. Yeah. Uh, I think that. Uh, Colors are, are big subtext in this record, and it's uh, there. There's discussion about loss and loneliness, and um, 
there's a couple of songs that deal with the uh, fallout from opiate addiction. There's a song about a guy who is a widower, and he's he calls it living with a friendly ghost, living with his his lady who's departed. And but it's not really a downer either. There's some up songs in there, but I've always felt like that. Uh, even though I'm blind, totally blind from birth, yeah. you can hear the blue color in music, or, and and you can hear the different uh, color sound has, has been uh, conceived of by Thomas Edison before. You can hear the blues and greens. They're, they're a little bit more peaceful. And then I would call the red noise, like on the heavy metal music, that, that guitar stuff. To me, that's kind of red or orange noise. And you can kind of link colors to sound. But there's another way to look at colors, the blues as an art form. It's, I think it's really quite interesting that the, there's an, a whole genre named after a color. And if you think about what the blues is, it talks about being blue, about being down. It talks about partying your blues away and having a good time. But a lot of the blues is about, you know, poverty, you know, loss, uh, you know, love lost and, and such. So uh, Shades of Blue t- attempts to get down into uh, an exploration of colors, not only the, the, the visual aspects, the covers, the, the cover, the photos, but the, the music itself. So that's that's what that, that was what we were trying to do when we put it together, the whole concept of it, so. And it was quite it was quite an experience listening to it. Um, the, the whole concept was brilliantly put together, I think. Now, the other song that you sent me, I believe, was called Parisian Mountain. Can you give me a little bit of a story behind that? Okay, so I grew up in, in South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina. And right in the middle of the, well, not right in the middle of the city limits, but not far from the city limits, there's a mountain there, a little mountain there called Paris Mountain. Yeah. Now, I think everybody has a Paris Mountain in their life, like a landmark that you remember. or It could be anything, you know, a bunch of boys who hang out, who have a secret cave they go to. But more on a real public level here in Greenville, this Paris Mountain was a place people used to go up there. And, you know, people who were dating would go up there. Lovers would go up there. People would just go up there on a pretty summer night and just sit and talk. And there was people around there all the time. And, you know, I, like a lot of my friends and Greenvillians there, in, in my teenage years, my, you know, when I was forming all my impressions, used to go there all the time with my relatives and friends and, you know, and girlfriends. And we talked about, we dream. We were dreamers. I'm a baby boomer. I'm a, you know, I'm a child of the 60s. We, we actually believed that world peace was possible. And so in the song, the metaf- the mountain itself becomes a metaphor for our misplaced idealism, and by that I mean we really believed in the age of Aquarius. We, when that song by the Fifth Dimension came out, we I felt like that at some time in my life there would be world peace. John Lennon was talking about that in Imagine, and then you know as I said in saying the song. When 9-11 happened, John Lennon's dream crashed and burned. So the whole point is is the mountain was uh, 
was uh, represented uh, misplaced in innocence. Uh, and we, I mean, you learn. You, 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 or I, I finally had to come to grips with the understanding that peace on any level is just not being discussed anymore. I hold out hope someday that there will be world peace. Maybe not, you know, but uh, uh, so that's that's what Paris Mountain is about. But only on a metaphoric level, that's what it represents. But on a real level, it represents me just looking back now at my age on my early years in Greenville. And, you know, they they say if you want to know where you're going, some, you've got to figure out where you come from. And uh, mm. I've been I've been reflective. I think like a lot of people that get up into their older years become and then become you reflect on the past and you reflect on your roots and you reflect on home and that's where the song Paris Mountain came from. So. And it's beautifully done too. Absolutely Thank you. beautiful. Yes, yeah, so those of you that are listening in, please be sure and check out um, the new album called Shades of Blue on CDBaby.com. I will be ta- talking a little bit about that uh, throughout the show. Um, you also did something really interesting here. Um, you wrote a song for Ty Herndon's debut album called What Mattered Most. May I ask, what uh, which song was that? It's called uh, Hat Full of Rain. Uh, it, I wrote that with my wife, Kim Morrison, and uh, I think that record is platinum now. It was, it was a... Um, um, there's a really interesting story behind this that I, I actually told on Facebook. So if you don't mind, I can tell you now. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it just cool. shows yeah. you this. This story here is basically explains what persistence is in the music business. And uh, yeah. I'll just uh, I, I want to eliminate as much of the negative aspects of it as I can. But we were with the publisher. We a creative director at our publishing company. We wrote for a company which I won't name. Uh, the creative director really didn't like us. He he came in after we, you know, got started writing for this company. I think he you know wanted to replace us with people that he believed in, and so he basically instructed us not to pitch this song up here. You know, you have to pitch your songs. You have to go to labels and play your songs for people. He said, it's not on my playlist, and if you pitch it, I'm going to go to to the boss, and, and uh, basically, uh, you know, we'll, we're going to have a problem. So we had to sneak around and pitch this thing, but uh, and this was the artist that he was trying to get get a song recorded by. He said, we've got to get a Ty Herndon recording here. That's our main goal here. So basically, he ended up uh, leaving fairly quickly after, and we, pit, we had to pitch the song on the side and not let him know we were doing it, but we got it recorded anyway. <laughs> so I think the moral here to all you people out there that want to make it happen, mm-hmm. you don't have to be rude or anything, but do not let people try to dictate to you what they think you are or what they, you know, believe your songs are. I mean, you should be, I think we should all be open to rewrites and we should all be, uh, Willing to be flexible, but at the same time, if you believe in what you got going on, go for it. The story applies to me too, <laughs> especially with my single. So that is very inspiring. So thank you for that very much. So um, 
You have worked with numerous artists upon your biography here that I've seen, and uh, some of them include, of course, Crystal Gale, like I mentioned in your intro, and David, uh, David Allen Coe, and Charlie Daniels. Could you tell me, um, you said you, uh, that you play piano for Crystal Gale. What was the experience like? First of all, she was just a total wonderful human being. She uh, she was uh, she's totally professional. I think even to this day, and I know then when I did the record, after all the success she had, she was still taking voice lessons every week. She was humble, but she carried herself with dignity and grace, and she was just a joy to work with. I, I was I felt blessed. I've been I'm probably the most blessed person in the world uh, to be able to do what you love, love what you do. Meet mm-hmm. these people and do this all, like I've done all my life. It's just been an adventure that's just unbelievable, and she's and I'll never forget that that experience of working with her. Mm. It, I mean, she she even looks like a beautiful person. I mean, uh, image wise, she really she, is. She's, she's, just, she's absolutely she's beautiful. She's pretty on the inside as she is the outside. Uh, yeah, I see that clearly, and that mm-hmm. that's a. Beautiful way to put it. Um, another person that I've seen here that you've worked with is Charlie Daniels. This, this to me, stands out quite a lot. Do you, what, do you have a story about him? Well, basically, it happened because I was with Marshall Tucker Band. I played with them mm-hmm. about three years. So when we would do co-headliners with Charlie, we would, you know, we'd work together. He'd always just call me out to play on the South, going to do it again. I'd play a little organ or something. He was always just great. Any time we were on the road together, he wanted me to come out and do their encore song. And their their uh, uh, piano player, the late Taz DiGregorio, I think is his name. Uh, mm-hmm. Pardon me if I'm wrong about that. He was always just gracious, you know, welcomed me out there to play alongside him and play the organ parts. Oh, it was just a total blast. Ch- blast. Charlie's a really nice man, very nice man. That's good to know. And the last person I want to talk about is Mr. David Allen Coe. He's he's been a popular topic on Facebook here and there. So let's. Uh, what, what, what's your experience with him? David is very transactional. He he kind of lives moment to moment. I did one project with him where we did about twenty songs uh, together, and when we got done, he said, "Boys." I don't have the money now, but if y'all meet me here tomorrow, I'll pay you. We were all like, oh, Lord, here we go. So we got over in there the next morning. He, he was about an hour late, but he came in there. Not only did he pay us, he tipped us. He, awesome. David, is a ma- David is a maverick. There, there's no doubt about it, but I, he is a gifted uh, writer. He had a unique way of presenting himself in country music. There's only ever going to be but one David Allen Cole. Mhm. Understood. And quite a story that is. Um, so let me t- let's look at some of the songs that you've uh, written here. And it says here in September of 2005, you completed Cole Porter's second project, Poetic Justice, and your first single was I Can See Arkansas, and it was certified number one in both indie country and indie world. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Well, Cole. Uh really had a beautiful voice, beautiful presentation, and he wanted to, you know, have a record. He wanted to get on the radio. He wanted some chart uh, records, and uh, he wanted my wife and I produced him. 
basically what we did is we went the way we work is we pitch we you know we let people hear our songs but we go look and we know where the good writers are and that particular song i can see arkansas was written by mr wood newton who was an incredible writer so we just went out and found songs like that and nine or ten others from various just unbelievable writers around the nashville area the the record's called Poetic Justice, which that song was written by Tom Kimmel. And I'm always a guy that believes the song is the beginning and the end of it, and what we do is what happens in between. It's got to start with a good song, and it's got to end with a good song, you know, that same good song. The song makes the 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 artist. I mean, if you don't have that song as a vehicle, I think I got that. You know, that rubbed off on me from writing up here around Nashville as long as I have. This is this is very much a song town, song-oriented town, you know. So. Mm-hmm. I, I see that, uh, especially when you, ha- when you have a section of the town called Music Row. That's, uh, oh, yeah. that's synonymous. Yeah, and all these great legendary writers that I've I've had the great good fortune because I don't consider myself anywhere near in their league, but to be able to even co-write with some of them and to learn from them and to hear stories about, you know, the ones that I've never written with or, and to play, uh, to play, I've been called to play on sessions for some of these writers and just to be around them. It, it rubs off, man. There's an osmo- osmosis thing that happened. You, you, you can't, you can aspire to what they've done as writers. And I think, you know, I think it sharpens, maybe it's made me a better writer to be here. That's for sure. Amen to that. But um, but but your writing stands out. Your your songwriting really does uh, does stand in a class by itself. I mean, based on what Thank I've you. heard, yes, Thank it you. does very much so. You. So, um, you have, like I said, you have quite a solid background in um, in the music industry. So, you know, looking at your, at your bio, and of course, you're married to the lovely and the beautiful Kim Morrison. I mean, wow. <laughs> I, I had her back. I had her on my show a couple of years ago. She is truly. Um, a wonderful songwriter herself. Um, you, the both of you actually completed what is called a therapy record in 2018. Uh, oh, that is, was so uh, much fun. Oh yes, what is that about? Well, it basically, was what we basically did was we wanted to. We got to the point where we basically said we've been given this gift of music. We want to basically do everything on this record with the idea of putting the music totally first, keeping it as pure as possible. And it's kind of almost like a legacy record. It's a record that uh, we want to be passed down to our grandchildren and their children and their children's children. And another thing I think it was, for me at least, I think Kim would say the same thing, it was just a way to honor the gifts we've been given. Uh, you know, we're we're talented people, we know that, but we're also try to do it in a state of grace and stay humble about it and I think gratefulness is the key to the whole thing and therapy in a lot of ways is we we kind of challenge one another a lot and we challenged ourselves it I we joked that it took more longer than the Trojan War to make it it took about 11 years but in a way that amount of time that it took really helped because it gave us time to really plan it through and get it, you know, get it exactly the way we wanted it. We basically, we kind of kept tight control over this one because we wanted to make sure that we, we expressed the music the way we want to, and we're just really, really proud of it. 
I see that, and I'm I'm very proud of the both of you because well, you all have you. accomplished so much in in this in this short amount of time. It's like within a year time span, uh, you've created two albums. You created what is called your therapy record, and of course you. Uh, completed this the Shades of Blue album, so c- kudos to you! Wow, an amazing, an amazing accomplishment. Um, Thank you. Yes, um, let's see. Uh, in your in your earlier years, you had mentioned that you were um, you you were to- you were totally blind, and uh, you were originally from Greenville, South Carolina, um, and you were and you discovered that um, you could you, you had talent in music from the age of eight. Okay. So, what was the experience like at the uh, at the at the South Carolina School for the Deaf and Blind? Well, it was a kind of a, a stark mm-hmm. place. It, it felt in in the dormitories. It felt uh, it was lonely in there at first, you know, because I was just a little kid when I got there, and it was um we used to we used to jokingly call it the Cedar Spring jail because we we were being a little hard on the place. I mean they looked out for us, but there was bells to get up in the morning, bells to go to bed, bells you know at breakfast and the some of the caretakers there were not the nicest people, kind of like it had that I guess it had what I've heard is the old the sort of the bad Catholic school kind of thing going on in the dormitory life, but in the school part where we would go, you know, to the school, to the classes, the teachers were really, really gifted. Uh, they were, you know, all special ed teachers. They were very good. So the way they did it back then was they started all the blind kids in piano and music, piano and chorus. And if they found out you had talent, they kept you in those classes, and they took the other blind kids that weren't maybe quite as talented and got them into the wood shop, you know, making brooms, canning chair bottoms, you know, even tuning pianos, doing things like that. So I was one of the guys that they they had me in the chapel choir. They had me in the chorus class. I played clarinet in the band. I took piano lessons, you know, once a week. Uh, I had I had actual practice schedule, a, a period of a period of day to practice, and uh, I hated it at first because I felt like I was being forced to do it, and I was a little bit of a problem child, so uh, I didn't like it. I kept trying to quit, but I was learning as time went by, you know, and uh, I remember going to Dr. Walker, the head of a school. He was kind of a scary guy, and uh, I told him, I I said, I want to quit. I just don't like it. You know, I miss my friends on the playground. That's just not what I want to do. He said, how old are you, Godfrey? I said, I'm 12, sir. He said, get your butt back down there. Get in that practice room. Don't ever come back up here talking to me about quitting music again. What they would do is they'd write these letters to my mother and say, you know, he has talent. We just don't believe he should be, he should quit. So my parents bought me a piano in the summer between the 7th and 8th grade. And that's when I started to fall in love with it because my teacher wouldn't let me practice rock and roll. He made me practice classical all the time. And so, But in the summer at home, away from him, I could play around a little bit and started learning songs and singing. The family would gather around the piano and sing. And then I started to gradually fall in love with it. When I really did fall in love with it, uh, it was. I remember it was on New Year's Eve, 1971, when I was um, eight, 
18. It was that New Year's Eve night between 1970 and 1971. It just hit me just like a flash of light that this this is what I was supposed to do. I just knew it was so easy. All of a sudden, it made so much sense, you know, because they were trying to send me to college and all this, that, and the other. So the rest, the rest is history. That's quite a story there. I, you know, what I would like to see. I, I, I would, I would like to see you write a song through, through the eyes of that twelve-year-old boy. I, I don't know if you've ever done that. But I sure would like to see you make that. Well, it's probably, this would probably be a topic for another show. Mm-hmm. But what I, I, it's hard to explain what I'm what I'm doing, but um, there were some times in the dormitory where things got a little bit out of hand. I, I stay, uh, they did some things that I won't get deep into that were quite abusive, but I had to spend a lot of time alone. And I started making up this baseball team. And, I, of uh-huh. course, I'm the star of the baseball team. I started doing things like learning to work the United States puzzle and just doing things with my time when I was forced to be alone. Uh-huh. Well, the baseball team became very real. I, I mean, it was comprised, of, in my imagination, it was people that, like family members or friends at school, were the players on the team. So what I've started is this book called uh, uh, Diamonds and Daydreams. It's like two parallel pieces going on at the same time. One piece is the baseball team, and I try to tell it like it's real. The other piece is the perspective of the boy at the school, and it gradually ties the baseball team with me making up that team. And you know, But at first you don't know that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's uh, that's my way of kind of already doing what you were talking about. Well, I, I can't wait to see the end piece. I, I would love to see that. that well, see, I, what I want to do is convince the reader that mm-hmm. it's all about baseball, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, all about me, you know, the baseball team. But then yeah. as you get a bit about the fourth chapter, it cuts to the boy at the school and gradually puts why the baseball team is being made up in the first place. It gradually gets to that. I see that. Quite an interesting story. Like I said, I I I anticipate the end piece. What what's going to result of that? Um, yeah, the, the thing is, my discipline is hmm? I got a. I read I read a book on how to write a book. <coughs> yes. And, excuse me. And they they interviewed Ernest Hemingway and you know William Faulkner and they interviewed all these people and asked them how do you write. And one thing that every single one of them said is they said I write from 8 to 12 every morning, or I write, they had a particular time they wrote every single day. And they would mm-hmm. say, some days maybe hardly nothing comes out, but I know that if I'm inspired in that time mm-hmm. period, I'm going to write. So I've got to, I need that discipline. I just need to get in there. Right now I've got the shades of blue, of the promotion, all that going on. But just trying to find the discipline, the time I know it's it's in there. It's in my soul and in my mind. It's in my dreams, so I know it's going to come out when I start dreaming it. It always comes out. And I think that's what keeps humanity going is, is the dreaming. And, uh, it's and, very and you're important. Living, yes. You, you are living proof of that. Yes. It, yes. I, like I said, I mean, you're – your your discography is amazing. 
and like I said, you've had a lot to offer the world, and and you Thank continue you. to do so. So this is a, a wonderful experience, even for me, to to be talking to you. Well, thank um, you. Yes. Um, last but not least, uh, like I said, uh, folks, if you're out there listening, please check out cdbaby.com and look up Shades of Blue by Ronnie Godfrey. It's a wonderful album, very inspiring, uh, has, a, has a lot of catharsis in it, and its themes are just absolutely positively beautiful and poetic. Be, like I said, be sure and check that out. Thank you so much. Um, now we are down to um, less than two minutes on the program. Is there anything else that you would like to uh, you'd like to give a shout out to or sh- a shout out about? Yes, I'd like to give everybody an email address that you can write to me, uh, and mm-hmm. you know maybe give me an email address or you can hit me up on Facebook. I'd love to get as many people on my email list as I can. This email address is Ronnie Godfrey. That's R O N N I E G O D F R E Y dot Shades of Blue at gmail.com. So, I, I, you know, the more the merrier. You guys want to write to me and get on the list. And I have my website developed soon, get my CD Baby page up and more developed than it is now. But we'll be able to hook up, and I'd like to connect with as many of y'all as I can. No, that's wonderful. I would love to help you do that. And please check out Ronnie Godfrey later on in November. I will have him featured all month long on Gypsy Poet Radio. Uh, here on this link, uh, blogtalkradio.com, front slash Gypsy Poet. Please check out anything on Facebook, Twitter, as well as Pinterest and Instagram. There will be updates posted there la- uh, later on this um, in November. So please enjoy the last two weeks of October. There will be more shows to come, but most of all, I want to help Mr. Ronnie Godfrey promote his album, which is Shades of Blue on CDBaby.com. I'm, before I sign off, I just want to say a, a big um, hi there and hello to some of my friends, such as Alan, uh, Alan Johnson and Oni Monk, who have been sharing my links on Facebook. Thank you guys very much. And I would also like to thank, of course, Mr. Ronnie Godfrey for joining me on this afternoon on GPR. Thank you again so much. I could get, I could just hug you. You are. Thank you. Again, um, I'm signing off, uh, but before I say ideal for now, I just want to say again, thank you so very much for calling in on the show. Thanks again, Mr. Godfrey. Thank you so much. Have a blessed day, everybody. You too. Uh, This is the Gypsy Poet signing off saying adio for now.